Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Bullseye Podcast. In this podcast, we'll be covering current affairs, pop culture topics, and trending technology news. Periodically, I'll be meeting with people to discuss their personal stories of hardship and success. For any topics that we cover or any guests that we have on our show, you'll find the bios and any other resources available. I'll make sure that they're posted with the podcast recording so that you can make use of them. We are recording. We are live. Hi. Hi. Thanks so much for joining me from the comfort of our own home. (laughs) It took a long time to get to my office from the bedroom. (laughs) Yeah. It's uh, the commute is crazy. It's now measured in moments, not hours. Thank God. (laughs) And for anybody who might be able to acknowledge or identify that there's a, a difference in our I guess our background voice, it's because we're actually sitting in two separate rooms now. Is that kind of weird? (laughs) Is that weird? I think think it's good. I think it's okay. Maybe the next step is we set up a little like table where we can talk. I just, I don't know. I see all these people that do that and I feel like they have a little studio and we don't have that. So this was the the best way. This is still good. All right. So our conversation today is about fertility journeys and you're my first conversation about fertility journey and we wanted to wait until we were in a position to be able to announce to everyone that we were pregnant and that's the main reason why we've waited I guess months before I I posted my second podcast I guess I could have done other episodes but we really wanted to just focus on you and I and getting through this, uh, the first couple of phases of our journey together. But this journey is more about you as a woman and what you go through. And of course, as a man helping you and supporting you the best I can, but really the journey is about you, your medical experience, your emotional experience and those kinds of things. So that's the main reason why I wanted to do this fertility series. So I hope you don't mind. I'm probably going to ask you some, maybe some personal questions and you can share obviously what you want, but the more the merrier because the goal is for you to help other women in the same situation hopefully feel comfortable and feel educated and better about going through it. Yeah, this is a very important topic. I think it's one that is it is a hot topic and that there's so many women. I am not a rare case by any means, but there's so many women that definitely go through this. Some are more open and candid about their experience and some are just a little bit more private and reserved. And that's both are totally fine. I just, while I am private, I do think and see the importance of helping others understand my personal journey, my personal experience with IVF, And I hate like doing the disclosure thing, but like full disclosure, this is my personal experience and I'm in no means a medical professional and or doctor. And I'm just, I'm relaying what I've been told from my doctor based on me. But if I can shed some light or be some type of hope for others, this is just what it's all about for me. So I'm happy to do this. 
I, I know that this is something that's a little outside of your comfort zone, even posting your, your Instagram post and just sharing a little bit of a you know glimpse into what you've gone through is difficult for you. But I think what probably made it easier was seeing other people share it and acknowledging that it's almost up until this point has become quite a bit of a faux pas. You don't talk about it. It's not talked about. You just deal with it and move on. And I'm not sure that's fair from a woman's perspective. I think you should be able to talk about it. You should be able to have a conversation. And men, we need to not be so afraid to have these conversations too. It's, it doesn't emasculate us. We can support our woman and our partner whenever they're going through this stuff. Absolutely. We can start right at the beginning. What's uh, what's the definition of, I guess, infertility or fertility issues or whatever f- phrase or terminology that you want to use? So for me, I, I know that infertility is a term that gets um, passed around in the fertility challenged world. I don't prefer it only because I know that 3% of the entire world is actually infertile in that they're sterile for whatever reason. They are literally without with any type of medical intervention will not be able to have or nor bear their own children. I don't like using that word for them for at least in my experience because I feel that there were challenges and we'll get into those challenges. But yeah, I feel like there were challenges. I just I needed some assistance in that. So I don't feel like it was infertility. I like the term fertility challenges. I think I would have to say I have to agree with you. When we first started going down this journey, we I can't remember the doctor's name, but we that was one of the things, the first thing that she talked about was the use of the word infertility and um, not so sure if it really applies because of how many fertility issues there are, if it really means that you're infertile. And so that seems really extreme of a definition. When I went and I looked up the the definition of infertility, it almost seems as though they've tried to include not so definitive problems. For example, for me, the idea of infertility is the absence of fertility. The Both sides, both parties are incapable of being fertile, mm-hmm. whereas the definition was a little bit more loose. It was absent or diminished fertility. So it's almost, let's use the word infertility, even though it's not really applicable, and let's just change the definition so it applies. So I'm with you. I think the word you know, fertility journey or fertility challenges, those kinds of things are a little bit more open and it means that it's not so definitive. But yeah, the the definition says absent or diminished fertility, the persistent inability to achieve conception or produce an offspring. So it's, it is loosely defined, but I agree with you. I think anybody else out there who's just starting this is probably going to come to realize that they're not fully infertile as a couple. It's, they've got fertility challenges and and there are different ways that you can overcome those things. I'm trying to find the doctor that spoke about this. And why do I want to say, oh, it is. It's Dr. Cleopatra Camperveen. Yeah. That, and she has a really great podcast that got recommended to me from one of the women going through IVF as well. Or not IVF. It was actually, uh, she. I, I'm not certain her fertility journey, but she went through one regardless. And she had recommended that I listen to this podcast. And it was something about prime, I think it's called, you're, like your guide or your primester to your super baby. And yeah, so I'll shout out 
that podcast, she was incredible. And she was the one that spoke of infertility versus fertility challenges. Mm -hmm. I remember that podcast. It was very interesting. And it talked about all of the months and years leading up to wanting to have children and preparing yourself. And even if you're weeks or months out from your starting your fertility journey, it's never too late to start. That's right. And she talks about what I liked is that it looked at all across all kind of demographics and ages and shapes and sizes and socioeconomic backgrounds and religion. And I, I, I thought that she covered like a wide range of just like areas in mm -hmm. which we sometimes fail to consider. So we'll look up the, the name and the podcast and we'll share that in the description of our episode. That's right. Yeah. It's, uh, I think it's, uh, yeah, it's on Apple as well. It's on Apple podcasts and on Spotify and it's, I don't know if it's the series number, but it's series. I think it's episode 33 and the title is the Primester to your super baby with Dr. Cleopatra Campervine. And I think it's hosted. I think the podcast is actually hosted by Kelly Levesque. Yes. Okay, you're right. I, I do see that here. She was a guest on her show. I remember now. Okay, perfect. So I'm gonna share I'm gonna share both the episode and the information about the podcast where the woman who was the Kelly, the person who had the podcast and the, the lady's information, the doctor's information that she also interviewed. So That's right. Yeah, we'll share all of that information. So who who's affected by fertility challenges is the next kind of area I wanted to touch on. And a lot of people think about fertility issues or fertility journeys or infertility. They always lean on, it's the woman, right? The, it's everything kind of lays on the woman about not being able, whatever this, whatever that. But in actuality, there are some statistics that it's pretty evident that it's both in our case, men and women. So in, in, in our heterosexual world, we're talking about men and women, but obviously this is not, it doesn't remove any other couple type. The statistics I pulled up were favoring obviously heterosexual couples. So that's the only reason why I have those stats right now, but they were saying 35% of couples with infertility, a male factor is identified along with a female factor in about 8% of couples with infertility. A male doctor is the only identifiable cause. Almost 9% of men age 25 to 44, and this was in the United States, reported that they are that they or their partner saw a doctor for advice, testing, or treatment for infertility during their lifetime. So it's not 100% women. There are men out there who also go through their own fertility journey. Some of the reasons why men have uh, fertility issues, disruption of testicular or ejaculatory function, but some people have a hard time being able to produce or ejaculate and you end up running into these, these issues and then you're not able to get pregnant. Hormonal disorders, there's a few out there, but there are hormonal disorders that people can have that can impact their ability to produce or to also conceive and then genetic disorders. So those are the three, number three reasons why men are running into their own fertility issues. And for women, we have things like disruption of ovarian function. We have fallopian tube obstruction and abnormal uterine contour are the three number, I guess the top three reasons why women experience it. And that's not obviously limited to that. But outside of those things, do you want to speak 
on a, on a personal level as to what some of the challenges were that you had? Yeah. So mine, when you talk about those causes, they're not, if you're suffering and dealing with and going through those issues, it becomes a little, I don't want to say easier, but when you have an issue and you know what it is, it becomes a little bit easier to, to treat and to narrow in and down on. In my case, it was very different. They did all the testing. So I went in for a Sono, which is where they fill your tubes with saline. I think that's the solution. And it's, a for me, a painless procedure, but that's what they, that's where they started is with doing a sono, sono, making sure your fallopian tubes aren't blocked. And, and like I said, it is completely painless in my case. And they just insert a catheter into your cervix. And I think they put a little balloon just to open things up in there. And they fill your fallopian tubes with saline and they can see on, on their screen if there's any blockage, if there's any cysts tumors, that type of thing. So they start there. And then with, besides that, I went into blood work and they tested all my levels and my hormones, and that includes AMH. And they said, everything looks crystal clear and great. So you're like, okay, <laughs> so what's my issue here? So had it taken, I think it's important to note, I am 30, I was 36 when the process started. I'm 37 now. And, and when they went into it, they, they factor age in for sure, but my levels and everything checked out, which in my case made it a little bit more difficult because if everything's checking out, why isn't it working? They say that once you, I think it's over the age of 35, once you reach 35, you should be, if you're trying to plan for a family, if it's not successful within six months, you should go to your family doctor and kind of get more counseling outside of just trying because it can take a long time. So for me, it took a year, but if to go through the whole process of the testing IVF retrieval transfer and for others, it can take even longer and some that are lucky, it takes even shorter. So they, they say to make sure that if you're over age 35, make sure, and you're trying for over six months, please do not wait any longer. Go see your family doctor, go to a fertility clinic and get all your tests and levels sorted out and started. And if it's, if they find something that there's a blockage in a fallopian tube, or there's too much prolactin, or there's different types of, you know, your hormone levels are off. There are definite things that they can intervene and help out. And that doesn't necessarily mean you need to go through IVF. It just means they need to sort out those levels and then you can maybe try again naturally. So for me, to answer your question, there was nothing glaringly wrong. You as well got tested and they test your sperm. So they're making sure, I think, what is the three? It's motility, morph morphology or something. There's three things that they test for sperm. I'll let you look that up and correct me. But so they're looking to make sure that it looks good physically, that it doesn't have any physical abnormalities, extra tails, extra heads. They're making sure that there's enough. So the qual quantity, and then they're making sure that they're, that they're quick so that they're able to move fast and get into your um, fallopian tubes and hopefully inseminate an egg. So they tested you and you were incredible as well. So all of those checked out. So they checked both you and your partner, of course. And so that's what made it a little tougher for me. They call it, uh, what's the term? You're damn perfect and it doesn't work out. 
it's you're too bad it's i forget what it's called it's basically where it's oh unexplained i hate the term again but it's like unexplained infertility where it's just we're not sure why it's not working it's just not and the likelihood of getting pregnant is you probably will and would. So it may just take a long time and who knows when it might be. We tried naturally for a year and a little bit. So yeah, if you, it'll likely happen, we just don't know when. So that's that was my that was my situation with what happened, why did I have to seek fertility treatment? Because all of my tests turned out like perfectly fine. And would you say also time was not on our side? Like we, we were ready. And even though we had been trying for over a year, it just, it, we didn't have, we didn't, we had the time. We have the time. We could have made the choice to take the time. But you, when you have goals for a family, whether it be one, two, three children, whatever, you start to run out of time and... That kind of puts pressure on things too. It does. It does. I definitely felt like I didn't have that luxury of time because I wasn't 35. I am now I'm 37, but I would like to have more than one child. And I have a finite amount of energy and I don't necessarily think in my case, it would be best for me to have children or like an infant when I'm much, much older than I am now. So I, I feel like the pressure was on to make sure that we start this now. Back to your comment about the semen that gets yeah. tested. It's morphology and motility. Right. So okay. shape and movement. Got it. And I was, obviously I was concerned as well. I was 42 when we were checking this and I'm relatively healthy. You never, I don't know if there's a whole bunch of other guys out there that do the same thing I do, but we don't ever go to the hospital, even when there's something wrong. So I'm not saying I know that there was something wrong or knew that there was something wrong, but I can also tell you I never proactively went to see. When your wife is is not getting pregnant and she's thinking it's her, you think it's you. You both have to go and get tested and go through the process and figure out where things are are going sideways. And then when you find out that both of you are perfectly healthy, everything is fine. There's zero to be concerned about. It's well, why? Yeah. Well, why is this not working? We've done everything you possibly can, including home remedies to help. Oh yeah, um, that's true. That's true. That is that part of your questions about the home remedies? Because I can get into some of the things I tried. There will be. Yeah, there will be. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So yeah, there's different things that we tried before going the fertility assistance route and it, no matter what we tried, nothing seemed to work, even though, to be fair, we maybe tried one thing one month, another thing another month, but when we tried it fully for the month, and I'm not, I'm just not sure. There were some things we tried for a couple of months too, but it just, I don't know. It's, to me, some of it just seems coincidental when people are using it. Each person will have their own testimony and, and they have their own story, so I, I'm not going to take anything away, but for us, it just seemed like I don't know. It just seems something to try and see what happens. Yeah. I, of course, wanted to try everything that I could before going down like a fertility clinic or treatment route. We did try like a variety of things. We tried the pineapple <laughs> method. Yeah. And there's a certain window and I don't remember what that window is, but they say that eating the pineapple core that has, I think it's bromine, a high level of bromine can help with con conceiving naturally. So I would eat the core of um, the pineapple. 
for a certain period of time and hope for the best. Then there was the maca powder, which has, it has really great health benefits in general, but it is proven to help with fertility or some women say that it has helped with fertility. And that was like maca powders and shakes. And I used to have that a lot. I think I did that for a good like four or five months. They're good. It's good for you. It doesn't do anything bad for you. In my case, it didn't help with fertility mm. uh, or conceiving. And then I also tried what's it called? Red raspberry tea leaf. I used to have and make those teas during, again, that special time period. And, and that also didn't seem to assist me. I did also try acupuncture and I only did that twice. Although I did find that very relaxing. I just don't think I found the right center to do that at. But if I had found the correct kind of place for me, I would a hundred percent love it. And listen, even when I spoke to my, my fertility doctor about this, he said in his, he doesn't say it's going to work or it's not going to work. He just says, if it's something that makes you feel good and has you relaxed, why not? So I, I did try it twice and I did find it super relaxing, but yeah, that, those, I think those were, oh, and also I lead a, I'm not like overly athletic and a super, uh, conscious person when it comes to eating just like clean, but I do eat and I try, I tried to eat relatively cleanly. I worked out a lot. I don't smoke. I don't overindulge in alcohol. I don't take recreational drugs. I, for the most part, tried to maintain a very clean and healthy lifestyle. So those are the things that like we were, I was trying, we were trying. Some people will joke and say, when you either go on your honeymoon or you go on a vacation, people will get pregnant after trying for months because mm -hmm. you are in a relaxed state and that works. So I even tried taking you on a few trips. <laughs> bonus mm -hmm. but it didn't work it so didn't. the trips were amazing <laughs> but <laughs> but they did not work no so didn't work we, we tried trips we tried relaxation we tried home remedies we tried teas we tried foods we ate well we tried acupuncture and other relaxation things and just nothing worked and also I think that a lot of people will be like, oh, don't stress. Like when you're doing it, just you'll hear people and couples get just pregnant with, without even trying. And we don't really need to hear this in, the, <laughs> what in my world. Yeah, there's definitely some <laughs> things not to say. I, yes, of course, you're when you're trying for something, you're and you want, you want it really bad, you're going to be thinking about it. But I can tell you there's been times and months where you almost it's a roller coaster there's months where you're like really in it and you're really focused on it and you are like you're conscious of it and there are other months where you're just screw it like I want to just be in a moment and I'm not even looking at my calendar for timing I'm just going to freaking just enjoy live doing life it. like just do it and whatever <laughs> enjoy doing it yeah and it's yeah you and most women out a lot of women out there will say yes yeah, sex is enjoyable and it's great but when you are on this calendar and timeline it becomes a this chore. Kind of chore and oh. a job where you're like okay guys like time to go this is the time of day and that's stressful on its own to time things so I did have some months where I tried not to really pay attention to those dates and times and try to be mindful of not being mindful <laughs> of the fact that I'm trying to conceive so it, it, I did try both of those methods and it, it just didn't it just didn't work for me you were mindful on not being mindful. <laughs> yeah. That's fun. Yeah. So I, that's an interesting point too, is, is what we've learned about 
not learned, I guess you could say relearned and truly started to appreciate the menstrual cycle, the calendar, ovulation, and truly genuinely understanding what it means to go through the whole cycle from start to finish, timing, how your body feels as you go through those things. We would even do ovulation tests. That's right. We did all of those things and we learned so much about just the fertility cycle yeah. on a monthly basis that we yeah. just, we knew this because we went to school and we're not dummies. We knew it, but it's, oh, I forgot. I learned that 30 years ago or 20 years ago. And you realize that all the things you learned growing up as a kid, like if a boy looks at you, you'll get pregnant. <laughs> Hell, the Irish Spring, Old Spice, I think, or Irish Spring. I think it was Old Spice had a commercial where the guy went into the bathroom and he like put on deodorant or something like that. And all of a sudden, you can hear from the other room, the girl go, ah, and she walked in and she was pregnant. So like <laughs> the whole idea that no matter what you do, if my penis goes near your vagina, you will get pregnant. And it's, it's funny. That's a good point. We learned that in school too. Honestly, it's almost like, it's not a fear tactic, but it's, it, it I, if I'm being honest with you, like that's what I grew up learning and understanding is that like uh, a <laughs> boy looks at you, you're going to get pregnant. Yeah. And also in going through this and testing for ovulation and understanding what your window is, it's at my age anyways, the window is quite limited and it is quite small. That's also some advice. Make sure that you do know what your window is and what your ovulation and your peak times are. And the great, like a great way to do that is by purchasing the, I use the, I think it's clear blue ovulation predicting tests yeah. and I use the digital one. So there was no margin for error and yeah, they are expensive, but they really did help me understand what my window was to help narrow down when the best and optimal time is to be trying. Oh my God. I remember you were very much like you've said since day one, you're very in tune with your body. And a lot of times when you went through your monthly cycle, you would identify when certain things were happening and the ovulation, all the ovulation kit did for us was show us that you were right. You knew, like you knew when you ovulated, you could feel it. And not a lot of women have that. And, and maybe not a lot of women know what's happening when that happens, but you knew. And right when you were supposed to be ovulating, the, the thing was telling you that it's you were ovulating. True. For me, the telltale sign of when I'm ovulating is that I, ha I have cramps similar to period, very similar, but slightly lighter than period cramps. And that would happen mainly on my left side. So when I didn't feel it, those months I didn't feel it, I assumed I was ovulating or releasing an egg on the right. Or not at all. Or not at all. And I also can tell like a difference in my body and, and how you are. Maybe you're a little bit more bunny rabbit. It just kind of, if you, some people it's, it is obvious and other times it's hard to know when you are. So all the more reason to get those kits and double check. Or just do it all the time. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> what, so we talked a little bit about like the fertility treatment that you've selected, but before you go into more detail about the fertility treatment that you did have and did go through fully, what were some of your options available to you? So I was given the option. So after uh, it had been a year that we were trying, my doctor recommended me to Markham Fertility. And I was seeing Dr. Vero, who I only have incredible things to say about this clinic, the professionals there and him himself. So when I met with him, he made sure he had all the levels and he tested me everything up front. And we 
determined that there were two options for me. There was IUI and there was IVF. And just maybe I can just look up quickly what IUI is to explain what it is. It's a type of artificial insemination. And basically what happens is um, the sperm is typically produced then it's washed and concentrated. And what the the specialist or the doctor will do is they'll take that really concentrated and washed sperm and insert it directly into your uterus. So through a catheter, through your cervix, up into your uterus. And that um, method is, I think in, or in Ontario, it's $450. And sometimes you're on, I think sometimes you're on also on some type of medication or booster. So you do, if you have a health plan that would cover that, but it's a relatively more economical route than IVF and obviously more less, sorry, less um, invasive um, than IVF. And it's a great option if there's motility concerns in in, in the sperm, because what it's doing is it's saying, okay, sperm, if you have problems swimming and getting to the egg, we're just going to put you right there. And okay. that's, yeah, that's <laughs> like part of your journey is taken care of for you. That's one method. And then the other method that was offered to me was IVF and IVF is basically where you are undergoing medical or hormone treatment and or I don't know if it's treatment, but you are taking medication and it is basically they are getting your follicles and hoping to produce more eggs at the same time. And so they're over, they're stimulating your follicles. You're producing more eggs and they'll go in at a certain time where they deem viable and they'll retrieve those, all the eggs. And from there, they need to make sure that those eggs are mature. And what they'll do is they'll take sperm. They'll take your sperm or a donor or however it ends up being. They will then place the sperm and the egg together watch it and see if they pair and how they pair and then it'll get to hopefully a blastocyst stage and that's where it's inseminated into the egg and it's created an embryo so in terms of that can, can uh, we go can we go back one step yeah when uniting sperm and egg there's two processes uh, yes, there's ICSI and then there's IVF. And like the two processes are IVF is where they put the sperm and the egg together in the, let's call it a Petri dish. And they allow for some type of natural um, interaction yeah, to happen. Or unity or whatever That's you right. Yeah. That's right. With like very little medical intervention at this point. So they allow the sperm, whatever, whichever sperm it is to just naturally inseminate into the egg on its own without touching it. ICSI is where they will select the sperm. So they'll, uh, there's a bunch of quantifying or qualifiers that they'll select from and they'll say, okay, this one looks good. And they'll pair it with the egg. So that's, they have intervened and have Assi done that. Assisted. Really. Assisted. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. Almost not even assist. It's almost forcing it. They're taking one and they're directly injecting it into the egg. That's right. 
Um, so I was given those like IUI or IVF. And the reason why I didn't choose IUI was because motility was not a concern for us. So we know that your sperm is able to reach my egg. And also in understanding what the success rate is for IUI, it's something like 5%. And I, again, the luxury of time, I didn't have that. So I chose to do the more direct um, route and I wanted it to be, I hate to call it foolproof. In my mind, I thought it it, it was. I understand now after, yeah, at the time <laughs> I'm like, okay, listen, why won't this work? Like we're doing IVF, let's go. So yeah, I, I chose not to spend any more time on anything else, but just going direct. So that's why I chose IVF. And we wanted to have, we thought before going into it, we would have the ultimate control over the situation and the end result would almost be a hundred percent. Correct. Correct. And the other, and sorry, and the other factor for choosing IVF was that we had want, we, we want multiple children. So I don't want time to be a factor anymore. I would like to just have my reserve ready to go. And when we need and can, then we would just transfer. So that's the other reason. Okay. So now you've decided to go IVF. We don't need to maybe go into the the weeds about the IVF versus ICSI. I think they decided to split them roughly. Um, they had a percentage, they had a process that they wanted to follow. They wanted some natural, they wanted to force a couple just because they wanted a better end result. They wanted more options. And so yes. we just said, okay, go ahead. So how many, so you went through this process, maybe describe your IVF process a bit right from as far back as you can remember right up to the medication leading up to retrieval the retrieval process the recovery from retrieval the process for the couple of months going leading up to then doing a transfer and then i'll let you talk that story out yeah for sure so basically once i was in the process of ivf we did this in november of 2020 and for the, they time everything. So you're going in for the first few weeks doing blood work and the blood work happened for a good two weeks before needles and medication and all that, that, what you hear in IVF. So I went in, they did blood draws and that was multiple times a week. And it's just drawing blood and they're checking levels. Seven o'clock in the morning, waking <laughs> yeah. up, driving a half an hour watching yes. the sun not even be up yet. That's right. Several times a week for multiple weeks. That is right. So it takes commitment. It was really amazing because Chris, actually, you came with me. Like every single appointment you drove, we drove together. Yeah, I it was- I wanted you to relax, take your time. Let's get there together. This is, a, even though it's it's COVID and I can't go in, I drive you there. I sit in the parking lot and I wait yeah. 20, 30, an hour or two hours, however long it takes. I, I drive you, wait for you. And That's right. That's right. The blood draws in the beginning are quick. So that wasn't, that didn't take two hours and three hours, but because what happens is you go in, they literally take your blood and you're done. You're out. They're not doing any ultrasounds at this point. They're just check, like drawing blood. But later on, the appointments can be longer. So I was lucky that you were, it was so nice to have you there. Every appointment was- I loved it great it's my it's our journey no i yeah absolutely it didn't you know what throughout <laughs> this whole thing i never felt like i was doing this alone and that that is incredibly supportive through a very uh, trying process yeah it was really great to have you and so what happens is you do this blood draw and they do some monitoring then they decide okay guys we're gonna do this we're gonna get into it so 
they will set you up for two weeks, depending on your cycle. And every day, once again, you will go in for blood draws. Your arms will look like you're a user because they're, they're, they're going to be bruised and drinking water and pressing the spot, like holding down the spot definitely does help with the bruising. But ultimately, they're going into your arms every day and it, it's going to lead to some natural bruising. It goes away. Along with the blood monitoring, they do transvaginal ultrasounds each time because what they're doing is they're they're checking your follicles they're making sure everything looks okay then at some point they decide okay we're going to start the medication with you the medication comes in the form of injections and they are it's a thinner needle when um, you're going through this process and it goes into your stomach. So for two weeks, you are any you're you are taking needles in the stomach anywhere between one to three needles a day. So those needles in my experience, yes, while like the first time you do it is a little nerve wracking, they don't it didn't hurt me. I it didn't it wasn't painful at all. Two, two of them were. To the first one that I like, I went to puncture and it didn't go in immediately. And that was that sucked. And do you remember that was also the one with the turn dial medication amount? And when I injected, it just didn't push in. Yes, I didn't know what I was doing. I watched the videos at least two or three times, and for some reason, the injection just wouldn't work. And then it worked and everything was fine. But then thereafter it was okay. But that very first one, I like, it, I just, I felt so bad. It, I didn't push hard enough. I don't think. I, don't I know. know what happened. I know. But for the most part, like these don't hurt. It was just that it was the first needle and the first time injecting. So it, yeah, like we don't know what we're doing, but it's <laughs> totally manageable. That was Gonal, by the way, the one that has the, the, the turn dial. But yeah, so what the medication is doing is making sure that it's stimulating your follicles and it's growing more. I don't know if it's growing more follicles or how that would exactly it's doing, but it's getting your follicles prepared to have and more and get like more eggs ready in those follicles. So we, you're on that medication for two to three weeks and you're sorry. Yeah. Two weeks actually. And they're stimulating your follicles. They're checking your, how big they're growing. Every time you go in, they're double checking and making sure that they're growing and they're growing at a good rate. They also want to make sure that they don't over mature because if your eggs over mature, they're actually not they're not viable. So it's a very finite, it's a very fine process that they go through to make sure that the eggs are at a, I don't know, like they're o at a optimal stage. Retrieval optimal stage. Or yeah, stage, yeah, harvest stage. <laughs> harvest. I know, collecting my eggs. They, they want to make sure that they're at that optimal harvest stage. And it's a very defined parameter in which they can collect. Yeah, I think so. A couple things. So I think you started your medication on day five of your cycle and you mm -hmm. did it for 12 days or 11 or 12 days. And then you go in, they check and measure to see how many eggs and how big they are. And then they, that's when they start toying with how much longer you're going to go or are you ready? That's correct. And, and then that's right. That's right. And they'll adjust your medication. They'll adjust the days. And that's what they said. And then basically, once you're at the stage where they say, okay, we need to go in and grab these eggs because otherwise it's not going to be viable. Yeah. You have to take a trigger shot again in the stomach and it doesn't hurt. It's a really fine needle. And once they do that, you, the next day you're scheduled to go in for your retrieval. 
that trigger shot has a very like specific time frame in which you have to take it. So make sure you're following the instructions. Take it the exact same time that they tell you. A side effect of the hormones is that your uh, estrogen level is is quite high. You are bloated. You're, you just don't feel very comfortable physically, but I'll tell you in my experience, I, even though my hormone levels were crazy high, I didn't feel, I didn't feel any different. I felt great. In fact, and I didn't have any, I, the, I don't know how to. The clinic was floored when yeah. they saw your number. Cause <laughs> yeah. apparently like a good number is like 3,600 of whatever this thing is that they that check leveling, for. Yeah. yeah. But you were like 7,000 yeah. <laughs> and they were just looking at you like you were, I don't even know, like a gladiator. They're like, what is happening? Are you okay? Are you sure you're okay? <laughs> And do you remember that was probably one of the very few times that you had a breakdown yes. is when you went in for that first time thinking, yeah. okay, I'm going to be okay to trigger. And then tomorrow I'll be able to come in and get retrieval. And then you were disappointed because you went in and they were like, we need one or two more days. Yeah. And you were like so mentally prepared, so physically prepared. I and I think the 7,000 whatever estrogen level, whatever they were injecting you in, I think that is, was like, I'm capped. Likely. <laughs> capped it was it definitely got to a point where i was like okay <laughs> i just feel like I, anyone that knows me i'm definitely a planner so it does make sense that i'm going through ivf you are uh, your the, mother's the, daughter uh, so i went in my head i was like okay that's gonna be like two weeks and we're gonna be ready to go on the thursday and let's do this and when i went in <laughs> it, i heard otherwise and i just wasn't prepared to hear otherwise yeah. and it just it just was very difficult for me to it was only a moment oh, man, but it was but... a moment that you needed to have yeah and the nurses were great they, they actually were. just saw it on my face and they're like <laughs> let's sit down and let's just go through what's happening in your yeah. mind so they were all really wonderful yeah and then we did a couple more days of injections we then did. you got your then you got your trigger timing and then you went in the next day for retrieval and That's what was right. retrieval like retrieval was i didn't know what to expect to be right. honest with you and i do like the element of when I'm going into something like this, I do read a lot about what to expect, what's going to happen with the procedures. But with the actual retrieval, I didn't dive too much into it because I didn't want to get in my head about it. So I went in there. I was pretty confident. Uh, I felt good. You were beside me. We felt, I felt supported. I, oh my gosh, you have to go in there with a full bladder. For, for retrieval though, I was not in the room with you. No, right. but you were able to in the next room come over into waiting. Yeah. Yeah, the room and at least be there, but not through the actual, like the procedure you weren't there, right. but that's okay because I, you're not awake. Right. So I had to have a full bladder. This was the hardest <laughs> piece. And you have to have a liter of water before the procedure. So I was literally about to like explode. explode. But I think, oh, actually, wait, not the retrieval. That was a transfer. The retrieval, I don't think you had to have. Did you have to have a full bladder? I don't think you I don't think you had to retrieval. for the retrieval. I no. think you just went in. Sorry, yeah, not the retrieval you didn't need a full bladder. It was only the transfer that you needed. Okay. The retrieval so, the, the retrieval was crazy because the anesthesiologist gave you medication within seconds you were passed out and then the next thing you knew you were half half awake sitting in a chair. That's right. <laughs> so you go in and you don't have to have a full bladder. You don't feel anything during the retrieval because you are under what is it? general or it's the it's anesthesia the 
so that's the one where you're just like you're sleeping you're not fully out so that's okay so that's what I had and again don't feel the needle and he just said what did he say to me the last bit was uh they just want to talk to you, make sure you're there. And then they make sure that you're not right. So yeah. he was just talking to me about my WPW, my heart condition. And I remember the la- the first, first, the last thing he said was, so how did you know you had WPW? And then I started into the story and I was, I don't remember you anything else. Yeah, I was gone. <laughs> and then the next thing I know, I was in the recovery room. It just, and Chris, it, how long was that period? Uh, you were maybe, f- you were maybe 15 minutes. It didn't okay. take very long at all. I was just going to say, when you get that, when you get that general anesthesia and it's drip and you're having that conversation and you fall asleep, that feeling is exactly what I have when I fall asleep at night. When, oh. I, when you and I are talking and then the next thing you know, I'm sleeping. That's the same thing. That's the same feeling. That's amazing. Yeah. So about 15 minutes, you were in the procedure. Okay. I was sitting there in the room. I was sitting in a room beside you. Uh, there was two lounges. I was just waiting for you. And then you came out and you were in a wheelchair because you were out. See, it's not very long. 15 minutes and then you're in recovery. And by the way, the only other thing I felt before going for the like going under call it that or sleeping is that my lungs felt really cold and I remember being worried about that and I said oh my gosh my lungs are like freezing feels really cold and they said it's just the medication don't worry about it so just in, in case you feel that it's completely normal Okay, so after they're done poking holes and, and smacking your ovaries around like a pinata, <laughs> how did you feel? So I didn't feel anything when I went home. So they just, I, and you don't get sent, you don't have medication. You don't have any like pain medication at all. There, there were advices just that you take Tylenol, not Advil. I went home and I just make sure that you're resting and you, you take at least two days. If you're doing it during the week and you're working, take two, I would say two days off just in case but typically people are a little sore a little crampy but they're like good to go and can function just slower for me it was later in that evening i was feeling all sorts of cramps like the cramps were bad the cramps were bad they were worse than period cramps and i didn't i didn't expect that because you read and you hear that like generally you're like you're okay so i was thinking oh my gosh something has gone like terribly wrong but i was in a lot of pain Mm -hmm. the heating pad definitely helps and i was taking tylenol which did not help so then i didn't sleep that night the next day i was in even more pain and i actually called the fertility clinic and wanted to go in because complications can actually happen with a retrieval where your tubes or your ovaries can i forget what it's called but something can happen and so it's good to if you are having that type of pain to go in and just get it double checked and they'll just do an ultrasound and make sure everything is clear and healing up okay so i went in and i i did go in that the next day or the second day i forget which day if it was the next day or no it was not the next day it was the second day after the retrieval and i went in and they did an ultrasound and i met with the the nurse and she said that because my I, I did have quite a bit of I did they retrieved a lot for me and I can get into those numbers oh. but because I, I they retrieved a lot for me you have to remember it, it is hard on your system and also the doctors are in there retrieving and inserting and it's it it is hard on your system just to give yourself a little bit more time and they said that at this point now that they can see that everything is healing that I can take Advil so I went back home I took an Advil and I would say at a day two the later part of day two I was feeling 
more and more like it was better i was improving so the first day afterwards was really bad yeah but by the second day you started to feel much better by the second end of day i was starting to feel much better in terms of how many follicles um i had 16 follicles and out of the 16 uh, which they weren't expecting like this is for my age it's these numbers are pretty good so i had 16 follicles out of 16 12 were uh, mature enough to go through the process of sparing the per- the sperm with the egg then out of the 12 i think it was eight were successful and made it to the embryo stage there was, and i thought there was one that was something there was nine total but eight was like the number and then the higher the higher number at this stage the better chances of having more viable embryos and what people can do is they can actually stop at this stage and now freeze the eight that they have but what we decided to do was to actually take that eight and get it to go through some genetic testing called pgt and we tested those eight and out of the eight five were successful embryos that were genetically sound and ready for transfer thank you so much for tuning in this week to listen to our story please tune in next week when we finish off the second half of this episode and in two or three weeks from now i'll be posting some more episodes with some other couples who are also going through some ivf journeys and in a week or two from now we'll be posting some more episodes with other couples who are also going through fertility journeys 